Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint the elders in every city as I command you. You may be seated. If you'd like this evening, we're going to start in Titus 1 and we'll make our way over to Titus 2. Focus in for a moment just on that uh, reading that we just had. There are a couple of things in that particular verse that we often sort of lump together. He said, I want you to set things in order and appoint elders in every city. It was not simply the task of Titus to appoint those elders in those cities. But each of those particular cities on that island had some difficulties, had some different problems, and they all needed to be addressed, and everything needed to get kind of back in line and then moving in the right direction. Now, as we have our minds there, let me let you wander off for just a moment. And let me say to you, I'll carry your kids anywhere they want to go. They are good kids. Uh, they did very well. They always do. Uh, and we had a fun time, and we drove Charlotte and Ed crazy. So it's always a great time. We appreciate them uh, putting forth the effort and allowing us to ride with them. It's always a wonderful time, even for us, uh, to hang out with you guys. Miss Glenda went with us. Uh, she and Isaac were over there this morning. And they have some family over there, so they may have stuck around. Uh, but she, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I think Miss Glenda may have giggled in her sleep. She was giggling the whole time at these little knuckleheads. So it's, it's a fun trip. If you get put into close quarters with people, it's a fun trip. So we're going to work our way toward Titus chapter number 2. As we're making our way that way, let me say something to you. Religion... And that would include true religion that God has set forth by God's rules is hard. Just is. And when man gets in there, he makes it and sort of moves things around, he makes it even more difficult. You don't think that's the case? On your way to Titus chapter 2, look over at Genesis chapter 4, or Genesis chapter 3, rather. Two people, two people on the earth. God says, don't eat this tree. And they said, yeah, but what about two people? All you had to do was not eat the fruit. We make it so hard. We have a group of eight men who shepherd this flock. And we hesitate to use words like pastor, shepherd, and bishop. I wonder why that is. Well, the, the simple fact is... We look at those and we say, well, those words have been sort of hijacked. They, they, they mean something else in our society. And to avoid confusion, we just don't say them. We have other words we can use. Really. Much like uh, the idea of teacher, preacher. Do you know how many times in the past 20 years I've been called Reverend, pastor, and they'll say, what, what would you like for me to call you? I'd say, just call me Billy. I'm fine with that. They don't like to do that. That's, you, I need a title. Whatever. Did you know 
that the assembly that we are in right now would be perfectly scripturally fine to call the church of God? But we don't. Why? Because it means something different within our society. It just means something differently. And when people get involved with religion and start moving things around, it gets complicated. As a matter of fact, just go ahead and define faith. Without using Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1. Yeah, I know you can define it that way. As a matter of fact, that's the way God defines it. Talk to any, stop anyone on the street out here, talk to them, ask them what faith is. I'll guarantee you that at least half of them are going to go, that's a hard thing to describe. And, and their answer is right. It is a hard thing to describe. But I'm not asking you to describe it. I'm asking you to define it. What exactly is baptism? Sprinkle. Pour, immerse, different types of baptism. You can be baptized with the Holy Ghost. You can be baptized with fire. You can be baptized. And all of those things are found within, well, except sprinkling and pouring. But those others are found within the Bible. But I can guarantee you this, uh, baptism by fire you don't want. Sprinkling and pouring on that last day you don't want. And just because I put somebody underneath the water doesn't mean they're, they're baptized by what the Bible would say. You ever tried to give a cat a bath? You can hold that joker under the water. He ain't saved. You ever been to youth camp? I see nine, seven, eight, and nine-year-olds every year holding kids under the water till I think this, this kid may be dead. He's fully submerged. Five of his friends are sitting on him. They're having the time of their lives. And you have to go over there and get him up, let him breathe. Is he saved? Just because he's under that water doesn't, doesn't make him saved. One of the biggest sticking points in the religious world, I think, is grace. And we're going to find ourselves in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. And on our way to Titus chapter 2, let's stop off in Genesis chapter 6. You know what happens in Genesis chapter 6. The world has begun six chapters ago. Everything is lovely. Adam and Eve mess it up. They get kicked out. They begin to procreate. They begin to have children and children and children. And ten generations go by. And in chapter 6, God looks down and says... And I should have never even done this. And the king, the old King James, what you'll read, is it repented God that he made man. He looks at them and says, should have never even wasted my time. Look at verse 8. Here's your transition word, but. You see that? But Noah found that next word grace in the eyes of the Lord and because he did he was automatically saved right nope no he was not if you couple Genesis chapter 6 and Hebrews chapter 11 by faith Noah prepared an ark 
to save his family. Faith, or, or grace rather, was not enough. And interestingly enough, coupling it with chapter 6 of Genesis, faith is not going to be enough because the last verse of Genesis chapter 6 tells us everything that Noah or God told Noah to do, he did. Grace is not enough. Faith is not enough alone. Works is not enough alone. We generally harp on grace and faith being alone. Sometimes we need to say this, and we need to understand this, and we need to live like this. Working alone ain't going to do it. It's just not going to do it. You have to have all three of those, and probably the one we, we understand less, or the least of those three, is grace, because it's one of those words that's been hijacked. Go tomorrow and ask your denominational friend what grace means. Ask four of them and see, see if you just don't get four different answers. Is, is God's grace four different answers or a different answer for every person? Or is it something concrete that we can know and understand? All right, don't look at me like I'm speaking Japanese. Is it something we can understand or something we just have to just sort of say, I guess God has that. If it's something we can understand, then it's something we can find within Scripture. He, uh, Titus chapter 2, verse number 11. We'll read 11 through 14. The saving grace of God has been revealed to all people, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live sensibly, upright, and reverently in this present world, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He gave himself for us that he might set us free from all sin and purify for himself a people belonging only to him and zealous of good works. We want to define from these four verses... This one phrase found in verse number 11. The saving grace of God. What is it? How do we apply it to our lives? How do we understand God's... You know, I hate to say this phrase, but I, I, verbally, I don't know any better way than, than this way. How do I define God's portion of the plan of salvation? Grace is God's portion of the plan of salvation. In Genesis chapter 6, when God's grace was shown to Noah, he told Noah to do something. He gave him that opportunity. Now, Noah had an opportunity to say, no, I don't want to do that. The opportunity was given to be obedient. That's God's portion of this. Here's the gift if, if, if you'll take it. And you and I can decide not to. So we want to define the saving grace of God. I think in verse number 11, you can define the saving grace of God as liberty. Notice this. The saving grace of God has been revealed unto all people. The liberty that's found in verse number 11 is that, that God's grace and God's plan completed saves me from my sin. 
And God's grace is the catalyst of that saving. It ain't Billy working. It's not Billy hoping. But it is the catalyst that God said, if you'll do these things, that will satisfy my wrath. We find liberty in there that it has been revealed to all men. Did you see that? Did you underline that? All men. That word there is not the same word that's found in 1 Timothy chapter 2, where God would say, I command that all men pray everywhere. That word man means men to the exclusion of women and children. This word man means is a word called anthropos. Sound familiar? Does it sound like anthropology? The study of people. This is every man, all men, all women of accountable age. God has revealed one time for good, Jude chapter three or chapter one, verse three, has revealed it one time completely to all of us. You know what that means? You know what that means, Bill? I've got the same chance you have, and not because our names are similar. I've got the same chance you have. If you're obedient, God will bless you. And if I am, he'll bless me. It's been revealed to all men. That liberty is not given just to one race as the law was underneath the Old Testament. You go back into Judges chapter number 5 and you start reading about her. And you couple it right along with Matthew chapter 1 and finish reading about her. You're going to read about a lady whose job was... It was less than stellar. You want to... We want to be blunt about this? She's a prostitute. She's a Gentile prostitute. You continue to read about her life and what she, see, what she saw and how she was moved by what she saw. At the end, in Matthew chapter 1, what you find is this lady is now in the bloodline of Jesus. Now put all those things together. What does that tell you? It tells you she no longer stayed a, a Gentile by religion. She married into that bloodline, and she's part of the past of Jesus the Christ. But you understand this fact, she wasn't going to be saved as a Gentile. She was saved as a proselyted Jew, one who was worked into the plan. But this saving grace of God found in Titus chapter 2, this New Testament saving grace of God has been open and expanded unto all men everywhere. Look at her in Matthew, uh, John chapter 4. After they have the discussion of why can't I have something to drink? And after she says, it looks like you're a prophet, imagine that. She goes on to say, your folks say we're supposed to, to worship in Jerusalem. Our folks say we can go right here on this mountain. Which one is it? Jesus answers and says, in a little bit, it is not going to matter. Now, there's an inference to be made from that statement. Here's what's inferred from what is directly stated. In a little while, it won't matter. Yep, but right now it does. Brethren, we live in a little while. 
We live in that, that period of time to which all men everywhere can be saved right where they are. We worshiped with the church today in Pleasant Valley in Van Buren, Arkansas. You know they got one there? You know what they did? Same thing you did. I'll guarantee you this, there was probably a church down in Talladega, Alabama that met today too. And I'll guarantee you they did the same thing. And I know of one in Mexico Beach, uh, Florida, who did the same thing. I know one over in North Carolina who did the same thing. Why? Because they're regulated by the same book. Because they're regulated by the same set of rules. And that saving grace of God says, you follow what I say, and it's out for all men. Now, I'm going to say this because I'm in the South in America. And I'm going to say this because... We've been here four years now, close enough. For 42 years of my life, I lived in towns where there was a white church and a black church. You won't find that in the New Testament. You won't find it. He didn't say, I, I, I have this saving grace. Now, now it's, it's for the black people over here, and it's for the white people over here, but don't, don't, don't cross the line. He says, for everybody. Unfortunately for us, we have relegated the song to a, to a children's VBS song, red and yellow, black and white, all are precious in his sight. And if we're pushed on it, it's unfortunate that we don't live that way as adults. It's a sad state of affairs. That's one of those problems we in the South have to deal with. That's one of those problems that we in the South have to overcome. There is liberty given in that verse number 11. Notice this. It's given to all, but liberty from God's grace, from my sin, does not give me license to go back and get some more. Romans chapter 6, verse 1. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Now notice verse 2. You see those, those words there at the beginning of verse number 2 of Romans chapter 6 where it says, God forbid. That's not the word. God forbid's not the word. But they don't have a word for that. The, the word in its, in, in its ultimate uh, emotion that's set behind it would be, may God never allow that to be so. That'd be a whole lot longer verse, wouldn't it? The emotion behind it is, please God, no. Shall we continue in, in sin that grace may abound? Please God, no. No, you can't continue in sin. What a foolish idea. And yet we fall right in line at times in our society with the Romans, don't we? If God's grace is accessed for sinners, listen to their logic. Shouldn't we stay in sin to get more grace? It's a great logic. If this is where the water fountain is, shouldn't I just stay there and get more water? The unfortunate thing is, Jesus would say, whoever partakes of my water is not going to be thirsty again. So when I look in verse 11, I look at the grace of God, I see liberty. Look at verse number 12. In verse number 12, I see that the grace of God is about learning. 
Notice this. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live sensibly, righteously, and reverently in this present world. I want you to go back to uh, Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 18, where Jesus begins looking at his disciples, about to be the apostles just in a few days, for the very last time while he's on this earth, and he says, All power is given unto me, and in heaven and earth go teach them and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and teach them. Did you hear two words that sound the same? Why is that? Why is he telling them, teach them, and teach them to be baptized and, and, and be part of the church and all that thing, and then teach them? Some of us with gray in our beards, and for you ladies, gray on the sides of your head, maybe even a little further. What we have learned and what we want to pass to that younger generation. Here it is. Are you ready? If you live a Christian life and you're not learning, you're dying. The Christian life is about learning. When I open up that Bible and I read it, I learn all sorts of things. When I read, uh, I read it this past weekend, and then I started studying it because it, it, it intrigued me. Genesis, uh, Matthew 15, 14, 14 or 15, wherever Peter gets to walk on the water, right? So, so he's there, and he calls out to Jesus, and he says, if it's you, tell me to come. And Jesus says, come on. And then Peter begins to, how about this, the only human in hum, human history to be able to say this, I walked on water. He began to walk on the water. And I'm reading through the old King James now. And he says, uh, uh, he begins to see the waves around him. And then he begins to. <laughs> Y'all obviously never thrown a rock in a pond. They don't begin to sink, do they? They just, bloop, they just sink, right? So my question was, what does begin to sink? What does that mean? He began to sink. Uh, you know how many times I've read that passage? A billion you know how many times I, I, I stuck my mind on the phrase, begin to sink? Never. When you begin to search those words out and you begin to look at the, the words themselves, what you see is he begins to drown. Which is a whole lot different than beginning to sink. Is he, is he flailing and thrashing? I, I could see that more. Are the waves rolling over his head and kind of keeping him down? I could see that. I don't understand begin to sink, but I understand begin to drown. Why? Because after two decades in the pulpit, you still got to read. You still got to learn. You still have things you need to work on, Billy. Amen, Doors. Just me, right? Okay. Well, I'll work on mine. If we're not learning, we as a congregation, we as individual Christians, we as the Lord's church are dying. We've got to learn. Keep learning. Keep reading. Do you know how long it was before I saw that, that Cain changed what God wanted him to do? And in the process of time, 
uh, Genesis chapter 4 and verse 3, which tells me before that Cain was doing what he was supposed to. Those little things are always in there, and we need to be looking for them. Notice this, when I'm learning, I'm changing behavior to things that are sensible, upright, and reverent, and I'm denying ungodly and worldly things. You cannot change a behavior by simply erasing it. Did you hear me? You can't change a behavior by simply erasing it. You're going to have to replace it with something. If not, that tempter creeps in, and that old way, that old habit, that old sin, finds its way back in the forefront, and we have found a way to justify why it's there. I want to get rid of lying. Well, then replace it with telling the truth. I, I want to get rid of uh, going home and beating my dog. Well, then give your dog away or act better. Do, you're going to do something. You're going to have to replace it some kind of way. He says, I want you to replace worldly lusts, the things I see them do that I just wish I could do, now, I don't know what that one is for you. We all have one. Boy, if I could just have one, this is what it would be. Mm, mm, mm. You deny ungodliness. You deny worldly lust. And you replace it with sensibility. Now, we're going to change that word a little bit. Just a little bit to give you a better understanding with it. I'm gonna, we're going to change it into my mother's uh, vernacular. All right, this would be the, I guess, the Queen Linda version if, if we had to announce it some kind of way. Live like you got some raisin. You know what that means? Act like you got some sense. You know what that means? Sensible. There's where it's at. Make that law of God what governs your life and then, and then live by that sensibly. Live like you've got some raisin. Why? Because you are now a representative of God's house. How many of you look at your children as they leave and say, remember who you are and whose you are? When things happen uh, to you at school, it reflects on us, right? Well, ladies and gentlemen, write this down. Are you ready? When things happen in the world to Christians, it reflects on the house of God. Live like you got some sense. Like you know how you're raised. Notice this. Sensibly, uprightly. What's the root word of uprightly? Right. Do I need to explain right to you? Not wrong. Do the, do the right things. Do those right things. Sensibly, rightly, and reverently. That is in respect toward God and respect toward man. Because I don't care what man or woman walks through that door. They were made by the finger of God and they deserve respect. Period. They have a soul, don't they? Is it valuable? Yes. Treat them like it is. That's the saving grace of God. 11 and 12, look at 13 and 14. 
There's no way that's right. We're just going to go past that. Looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, he gave himself for us that he might set us free from all sin and purify for himself a people belonging only to him, zealous of good works. Look at verse 13 especially. You want to see the grace of God? As you have one who's been set free from their sin, one who continues a life of, of, of learning, the third thing you have is one who is looking for the return of Jesus. Looking for the return of Jesus. You remember in Thessalonica, as those people would just kind of gather on the hill, and there's something commendable about these, these men and women from the church of Thessalonica. They just gather up on the hill. They kind of quit their jobs. They quit doing everything. They just sat up there, sort of camped out, and waited on Jesus to come back. Paul had to write him a letter that says, uh, I appreciate that. But until he comes, I'm going to need you to get back to work. But could, could you imagine where Jesus says, I'm coming, and, and then all of us at 70 West say, okay, we'll meet you. We'll be up here on the hill. That may, not, that may be different for you every day of the week and maybe not so much for me and Michael. We'll meet you up here on the hill every day. Here are a group of people who are looking for, not just, not just the idea of, of looking and hoping that he comes today, which we do. What's, what's better than living here, than living in eternity with God Almighty? Nothing. Not just the looking for him, but, but the, the yearning and the longing for him to come. As, as the, uh, the Apostle John would write in the book of Revelation, Even so, Lord, come quickly. Come on, let's go. Let's get this show of, of the, the physical world off the map and that show on the road. How many of you exercise, eat right? How many of you are just not going to answer at all? My diet consists of sodas and candy. A lot. Which, by the way, here, here's an advertisement for you young folks. Don't do that. Because <laughs> when you get old, you get slow, and then you have to sort of work around what you shouldn't be doing in that right you shouldn't be eating just all that kind of stuff Laffy Taffy is my favorite my diet is terrible my exercise regimen 30 years ago was great 30 days ago not so much am I the only one but I guarantee you this, if, I think, if I started at day one eating everything I'm supposed to, the way I'm supposed to, in the portions in which I'm supposed to, everything clean and nothing preserved, and I began to exercise on day one, I mean like an absolute maniac, like I'm just going to be here, Right? I'll guarantee you I don't make it 2,000 years. It's been about 2,000 years since those men were up on that hill in Thessalonica. 
They do everything they wanted to do, and they still physically wouldn't make it to see Jesus come back in those clouds. But the, the mindset that they have to long for it and, and desire for it so much, they would give everything physically in this world up to, to simply be up here, is an admirable trait. And it's one where I find myself asking, is that really what I'm longing for? Is that what I'm, what I'm looking for? Notice in verse number 14, that he might set us free from all sin. Set us free. A, a, a complete break, a complete sever away from sin is the grace of God. You don't have to tote the guilt around with you till, till next year and offer another animal. It's completely severed. Where God may not remember it, you and I still recall it from time to time. We need to do better at that. There's an opportunity there to be free. Listen. We live in a nation that values, values freedom. We may at times even adopt this attitude. I'm going to go ahead and say, I'm guilty of this. You just fall right in line if it's you. Don't tell me what to do. I'm a man. Y'all, y'all, anybody else do that? Okay. The, y'all in the sound booth, the rest of these are liars. We're going to, we're, y'all come right down here. We, we, we adopt that attitude, don't we? we? We value freedom so, so very much. And the freedom that we want to have, we will not accept because it comes from God. And God has some things that He wants us to do in order to obtain that freedom. We just turn our back on it and say, well, if it's not absolutely free, I don't want it. Yeah, well, let me tell you something about salvation. It's free, but it ain't cheap. It's going to cost you something. You're going to have to do something. Now, you can live the way you live and the way you have been living, and you can be L-O-S-T. And you can be happy with that. Many people are. You can live just exactly how you want to. You can never bow a knee to Jesus the Christ on this side of eternity. And I'll guarantee you this, you will one day. Or, or, you can accept God's saving grace through the plan He has extended and through the means of payment of Jesus Christ's blood. You can submit to His will. You can find yourself hearing what He has to say and believing it. You can find yourself repenting of your sin, confessing that Jesus is the Christ. You can find yourself in a baptismal pool just like that one or anyone on this side of eternity. Being baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost for the remission of your sins. And then at that point, you can be added to the family of God. You can be the recipient of that saving grace. And then there's one more thing. What God knew about people is that some points in time, 
we lose our minds. Y'all ever met any people like that before? Generally from the ages of 12 to 19, I'm not going to look right at you guys. You know, we don't make the greatest decisions sometimes. We, we, our experience may not be enough in this world. We don't make the best decisions or, or we just want to do something. We don't make the best decisions. And guess what? It doesn't just happen here. It's not just here. It happens here. Does it happen there? We don't make the best decisions. But God has said, not only will I supply you the saving grace to save you from your sin, I'll supply you grace enough to come back home. I'll supply you grace enough to, to shake off the, the foolish decisions you made and come back home. What do you need to do? You need to be obedient to God's Word? You know, put on Christ for the first time? Or do you need to come back home? Access tonight the saving grace of God that's found in Titus chapter 2. Right now, while we stand and sing for your encouragement. Have thine own way.